It is my privilege to get to introduce our speaker for our conference, Lisa LaGeorge. As I was looking into her background and into what she has accomplished and worked, I was really grateful for a voice in my head. It was my dear friend, Crystal. Whenever I am tempted to compare myself to someone else, Crystal's voice says, we all have different gifts. <laughs> Dr. Lisa LaGeorge serves at the Children's Hunger Fund in Silmar, California. She's the senior director at the CHF Academy. Uh, CHF's mission is to deliver hope to suffering children by equipping local churches uh, for their mercy ministry to be gospel-centered. Before that, she served for over 20 years at Masters University in California. She was a professor of uh, missions and an administrator in the student life department. And she also administered and trained and served in cross-cultural vocational mission trips. And she also worked with missionary children, uh, international students, and military veterans. Before her time at Masters, she was in Alaska for five years. She was working in cross-cultural youth ministry there and still loves the state, says it holds a special place in her heart. Lisa loves to teach God's word to women, both in local churches and at women's events all around the world. She is an active member at her church, Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, and she serves in her women's ministries and in outreach. And Lisa has traveled to over 50 countries. Uh, she works there to encourage cross-cultural workers, provide teacher training workshops, and she supervises student teachers. She also has done research and writing in short-term missions, singles in the church, cross-cultural teaching methodologies, missionary biographies, and more. And she says the, one of the highlights of her life was with the Guidelight Disability Ministry when they trekked to Mount Everest Base Camp. <laughs> Impressive. So Lisa loves to read, and she also loves to cook for groups of friends, and she likes to hike and camp and paddle if there's still time left. And she is single and is so grateful to God for the gift of a godly family and friends who are like family. So Lisa, you are incredibly gifted, and we thank you that you are here to share some of those gifts with us. Uh, let's welcome Lisa together. Well, it's been really sweet uh, being out in the lobby and seeing, meeting some of you for the first time, also seeing some of uh, my old friends. Not that they're old, but okay, they're getting old, as am I. Um, but it's a delight to be here, here at Countryside. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of years since I came to visit, and I don't even think you were in this building. I don't think this building existed. Um, but it's a really sweet thing to be here and to, to be a part of this ladies' conference. You know, we all have different gifts, right? So, you know, I couldn't walk in those shoes. 
So whatever it is in my bio that made you jealous, I, I wish that, yeah. Still up here in my nurse's shoes, because, you know, at least I know I'm not going to trip on my face. And can we just say, your state's lovely, but it's so small. I mean, being from Alaska and all. So, isn't Texas cute? Just had to say it once. I know, we only have three and a half people. Um, but I really do, I do love this congregation. Your pastor and his wife have been dear friends for more than 25 years, and I see more, more faces in the audience that I know as time goes on, but really grateful for the opportunity to be here with you and to open the word of God with you. And so before I do that, let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are so kind to us that on a Friday night, after time in school or time at work or time with angry toddlers, Lord, you've brought us together to spend time together and to spend time in your word. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would refresh our minds with your word. And the, Lord, that we would walk away tonight with a greater affection for you and for your word and for the people that are around us. Not, Lord, that we would be anything special, Lord, but that our lives would show that you are ultimate and sovereign and gracious. And so, Lord, as we open your word, give me clarity, give us understanding that your son would be magnified and that the world would know him. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. So this first session is on biblical womanhood, right? And there's a lot of news going on right now about women or questions that people have about what a woman actually is, right? Um, as a matter of fact, Time Magazine this year declared that this year's woman was actually not a woman, it was a man, dressed as a woman. Our culture has no idea what a woman is. I heard an interview with, with someone, a politician in Australia. They asked her, what is a woman? And her response was, well, I'm not really a biologist. <laughs> right? Um, women are in the news because uh, Hollywood wants more female writers. In, in their writing of movies and scripts and all of these things. And I'm like, I'm not sure I want more women writers in Hollywood. Uh, maybe it would change things, but I doubt it. But it's not just here in the U.S. that we hear about women in the news. It's also around the world. Um, mutilation of females continues in the Middle East, in Central Asia, and even in my own community in Santa Clarita. Uh, Saudi Arabia is all up in arms because there are rebellious female drivers. In one village in India, in a three-month quarter, there were 216 children born, all of them male. We've had Me Too, conversations about abortion, 
equal pay, feminism versus the LGBTQ movement, men who want to be women, women who can't say what a woman is. And the confusion isn't just in our culture, it's also within our churches. And so we have to be aware of what the scripture says about what a biblical woman is. And we can't start asking the culture what is a woman. We actually have to go to the scriptures and ask, who were we created to be, as recorded in the scriptures? Because even our own churches at times get it wrong. What does the Bible say about who a woman is and what it is that we're called to do? And it's countercultural to ask these questions, right? There's errors on both sides. That's how Satan works. We need correction, and we need correction of overcorrection sometimes. But lest you get nervous about what I'm about to say, here's where we're going. Here's why we're talking about this. I want to help us continue to build on the framework that you already have, but this framework for service. I want us to see causes for thankfulness for being women. We want to bring together a correct understanding of what a woman is, who a woman is, so that we can live with joy, with clarity, and with an opportunity for full-throated praise of our God who has made us to be women. Now, I got to tell you, I was a tomboy growing up. I'm sure there's no surprise to any of you who recognize that, yes, I am wearing a skirt and it has pockets. <laughs> Just had to tell you that. Shorts and pockets, right? And I would say probably most of my time growing up, I was not too excited to be a girl because that meant that I had to sit down and shut up and wear a skirt all the time. And when that was what was in my mind, I thought, wow, what good am I? I'm, I'm a loud person who likes to talk and research and, and I like to climb trees and the skirts are just very impractical for that. And so I have come into this through the study of the scriptures, not because it's natural to me to appreciate teacups and lace and stilettos, right? But because I've had to stop and say, wait a second, what is it that our God is saying to us about who he's made us to be? Can I rejoice that I am a woman? I don't have all the answers, but I know that the word of God is going to help us as we begin to study and to think through these things. And so in your little booklet, you've got some notes, and those notes will um, help to, to walk us through these points that I'm about to bring to you. The first point is that we were created by God for God, by God for God. If we can keep that point in our heads, 
that will help guide our entire understanding of this topic. By God, for God. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. This is where we're going to start today. Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible, first few pages. I asked Alexa recently if she would read to me Genesis chapter 1, and she actually started in the preface. That's not where we are. Um, we're, we're in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses uh, 26 to 28. So God's created most of the world, and on the sixth day, he says, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We were created by God for God. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. No other creature in this whole creation is said to be made in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. This has to be the starting point for any discussion that we have. We've, we can't just throw out terms like complementarianism and start there. We have to start with the word creation. The first thing that we read is that we were created by God for God and he created us in his image. That means that he created us and made us with a value and dignity because he created us in his image. Men and women, according to this passage, equal in value and in dignity, equal in personhood made in the image of God. This has not always been historically understood, right? At times, women have been considered perhaps maybe not quite as human as a man and definitely weaker in every way in their ability to think, in their ability to reason, in their ability to, to communicate. But that's not actually what the scriptures say. It says that we are equal in essence because we were made in the image of God. This understanding has been lost in our world. Since 1971, 
160 million girls in China and India have been aborted. 160 million girls. That's half the population of this country. When you start looking at trafficking statistics, people that have, women that have been, or people who have been trafficked in the flesh trade, whether that's domestic or commercial or manual labor, 70% of them are female. Five million trapped in sexual exploitation. It's a $99 billion a year industry. Women have been diminished in their personhood and seen as simply tools to fulfill men's pleasure. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are equal in value because we were created in the image of God. But we also have been created different, right? Created male and female. So look down at Genesis 2, verses 18 to to 23. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We have a common origin and destiny. However, we were, men and women, were created at different times of different substance. Different times of different substance. I don't think I had actually thought about that until I started to study this passage. God created Adam first out of the ground, dirt. Some of you were looking at me and going, that is no surprise to me. Have you seen my son, my husband, my boyfriend, right? And what their laundry looks like at the end of a day? They were created out of dirt, but woman was created from the man. And they were created at different times. And that is significant when we start to think about what it means for us to be different individuals, to be complementary. That complementary part means that we have distinct callings, and that difference has been there from the beginning. Some people, when they speak of this, they say, oh, well, the differences between Adam's role and Eve's role, those differences came about because of sin, because of the fall. But we're reading this passage here. These differences were actually there at the very beginning, before there was any sin in the garden, before Adam and Eve had made horrible choices about where to eat that evening. Man was given the burden of leading before the fall. 
And we begin to see some of these differences come to light in this passage. First of all, we see a difference in the order of creation, right? We see that Adam was created first and then Eve. We see that Adam named the animals and then he was given the task of naming Eve. Who named Adam? God. God named Adam, but Adam named Eve. There's accountability here that Adam has first before Eve. After the fall in Genesis chapter three, God spoke to Adam first. (laughs) What have you done? Where are you? And there's also a difference in purpose. This passage tells us that Eve was Adam's helper. She was specific to him, suitable for him. Now, this is a very special, significant Hebrew word that's used here, and normally I try not to bring the Hebrew, Um, but I think it's helpful for us to actually take a look at this specific word. The word is ezel. This word means helper, but it doesn't mean servant or subservient. As a matter of fact, every other instance in the Pentateuch in these first five books of Moses and in most of the rest of the Old Testament, whenever this word is used, it's actually a descriptor for God. It's how God calls himself. He is the helper of Israel. You can find some references to this in Psalm 121. I lift mine eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Not the hills. It comes from God, who is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the helper. We also see it in Deut- Deuteronomy in 33, um, chapter 33. It's in there five or six times where God is the helper of Israel. So when we see the word helper, I think oftentimes we think, oh, it's the helper like, you know, mom's in the kitchen and the three-year-old comes in and wants to help make pancakes. What happens when that happens? There's flour everywhere, right? That helper is not very helpful, really, right? Or we think of the helper like um, I, staying at a hotel, Somebody, the room fairy, came in and made the bed, right? That's a good helper. That's not the word that's here. This helper that was made fit for Adam was someone who was strong and she was capable of helping him with the job that the Lord had given to them, But we also see that the, another one of these differences, another reason that there are differences between Adam and Eve is that um, there's conflict that was brought about by the fall. There was conflict between Adam and Eve. Be, there was disorder and pain in the roles in which they engaged with one another. But both Adam and Eve were necessary to the plan of God. And God called his creation of them very good. So they were created with 
distinct callings with a common origin and destiny, but they were also created to participate in God's mission. And ladies, if you catch nothing else tonight, this piece here is one of the most exciting things to me, is that we can look at what God has asked of humanity and see that he has given us a role in participating in it. There's a common calling that's here, a common calling. In Genesis chapter one, those verses that we read, when God gives this commission, he doesn't just give it to Adam. He actually is using plural pronouns. So he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock. Them, it's a plural pronoun. This was not just a common calling that was given to Adam. It was given to humanity. Adam and Eve were meant to be co-regents over this creation. He commanded them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. This can be a difficult thing to swallow at times, especially for those of us who are single and childless. Stepping to the side of the pulpit here for this. Um, I'm over 50 and have not been married and do not have children and every year Mother's Day comes along and some years pastors have pounded the pulpit while I've been sitting out there somewhere. Ladies, motherhood is the highest calling of any woman. Everyone should be a mother. That isn't exactly what the Bible says. I went one time, knocked on the pastor's door the Monday after Mother's Day, and I said, hey, pastor, love you very much. Can you show me the chapter and verse for that moment? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, the motherhood is the highest calling of a woman. I said, can we, can we talk for a moment about that? I'm single. He knew I was single. And at that point, you know, I was 25, so it might have been something that the Lord had for him. It might still be something the Lord has for me, but, you know, at that point, it was like, I, I'm not married. I don't know if the Lord will ever call me to be a mother, but I do know that several of my married friends struggling with infertility were sitting behind me crying when you were telling them that their lives will never reach the highest calling possible. Ladies, our highest calling is to be a child of God. And if the Lord has brought you to himself, this is where we can rest and rejoice that he will work in us his good pleasure. And he will use us. I'm actually in the middle of writing a book about this point. So I'm just going to give you two more minutes on it. Be fruitful and multiply, God said to Adam and Eve. Jesus takes that statement in Matthew chapter 28 
And he says, be fruitful and multiply. But it's a different fruitfulness and it's a different multiplication. Because Jesus actually says, if you are a believer, as you're going through the life that I'm calling you to, go and make disciples. That's multiplication. That's fruitfulness. That's the building up of the body of Christ. That's augmenting the family of God. And so for those of you who are sitting here today and you're wondering where you fit, if you'll ever get married, you're looking around on a Sunday morning and going, there's a lot more of us than there are of the guys. (laughs) And you're not ready to swipe right or swipe left or whatever the thing is that you do with whatever those apps are. There's still fruitfulness that comes about in honoring the Lord and where he's placed you. And we can rejoice in that. We can be glad that we still have a means of being fruitful as those who love Christ. So as God is talking with Adam and Eve here and he's saying, I'm calling you out. I'm creating you for each other and for my purposes in this world. He is looking at them and saying, this is a very good plan. He's given them a place to live. He's given them a vocation, a calling. They have a job to do. He's made a family. And he's brought them in relationship to himself. And so, Adam and Eve, different in the time of creation, made of different substance, but with a very common calling to work out the image of God that he has placed on us. So not only have we been created for God and by God, we've also been created for relationship. And again, some of you who may be single in this room or are single again in this room are mourning some of the the lack of relationship or the loss of relationship. And the reason that you do is because we were created to be together. We were created to live in relationship, to live out the image of God in our lives in relationship to a world that doesn't understand our God. Why is our God a trinity? Because the relationship that God shows us within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is lived out. Our creating, our being created for relationship is reflecting our God's relationship. So man was created to commune with God. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the day. It's not hard to imagine although I don't think we probably do it enough, what would it have been like to have walked with God? To talk about what bushes you trimmed that day or what fruit you found or what butterfly entered the garden and floated by that day. 
and to rejoice in God's creation and his, his love and his creativity in the world around us. God drew Adam and Eve to himself and walked with them. We likewise are called to walk with God. One of the, the parts of the Great Commission that I love so much is Jesus' promise to his people, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That withness is what ought to get you up in the morning. Your God is with you. So men and women were created to commune with God. They were also created to commune with each other. The woman was given as a helper in a relationship designed by God to promote universal flourishing. And I use that word universal there intentionally because God's saying, go and multiply and rule this earth, the universe that I have placed you in. They don't have a, a separate mission. They've got distinct differences and they were, they were called to patterns to work together. They're, but they're also joint heirs if they know Christ. They're joint heirs. Galatians chapter 3 verses 27 to 28 speaks of a common inheritance that we have. Those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. We are called as joint heirs. We commune with one another, but we're also in relationship with God. And we're called to commune with the church as well. Commune with the church. First uh, Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ. What does it look like to be called as a child of God? To be called to be part of this body of Christ. Your gifts were given to you so that this local body would be built up. If you're here and you're not using those gifts... There's a piece of the body that's limping a little bit because your gifts are needed here. What does that look like? Even for men and women within the church, for women within the church to use their spiritual gifts. If you are a child of God, you've been given gifts to use. It's not enough to come and sit on the back row and hope nobody notices you. But you've got a purpose for being here. It may not be somebody who's up front and speaking or teaching or playing the violin for Sunday service. But there, there's something you can do. There's somebody you can encourage, right? Tomorrow we're going to talk about hospitality. What part do we all have in observing the needs of people around us? When you come in on a Sunday morning, what does it look like for you to look around and meet someone new? Maybe it's somebody who's been here longer than you. That's okay. Meet somebody, encourage them in their walk. 
We're called to be a part of the body of Christ, and your gifts are necessary for the outworking of those, those gifts that the Lord has given us and of the, gro- the building up of the body. So we've been created by God for God. We've been crafted for community in a number of different spheres, but we've also been called to fruitfulness in Christ. First of all, we've been called to salvation. Salvation is a gift of God given equally and freely to men and women. Nothing in the scripture says that a woman cannot possess salvation unless a man extends it to her. This was actually, has been practiced over the years where no woman could actually come to the scriptures and open the scriptures without someone to explain the scriptures to her. That's not what the word of God says. It says study to show yourselves approved as workmen that don't need to be ashamed, who who know this. Study this yourself. A few years ago, I was in a church. This is almost 20 years ago. I was in a church, and I just couldn't figure out how to get involved. And I, I, I tried to to help out with women's ministry. I tried to help out with Awana or some other things I was trying to do. And finally, I went and I talked to the pastor. Um, I don't always confront the pastor. I just want to let you know. Um, I went and talked to the pastor and I said, Pastor, can, can you help me understand? Um, he, had, he had skipped a section. He'd been teaching for 18 months on marriage and divorce and he'd skipped the verses that in Matthew 19 where Jesus talks about the eunuchs. He skipped those passages, and so I had reason to go and talk to him. So I said, Pastor, can, can you tell me why you skipped these passages? And he's like, well, they don't really apply to anybody in the church. And I'm like, uh, what happened to this we teach verse by verse thing? We, we skip verses you think don't apply to the church? I got a few I'd like for you to skip <laughs> along the way, right? And uh, by the time we got done with the conversation, he made it clear to me that he didn't believe single women could exercise their spiritual gifts within the church because they weren't being sanctified by marriage. Now, I know for sure the Lord was sanctifying me because I didn't hit him. (laughs) But that's not what the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us that every one of you has been given gifts for the building up of the body. We've been called to salvation. We've been called to serve. We've been called to the church. And without question, each one of us is subjected to the authority of the word of God. And so, as we've been called to the church, we have to recognize the Bible teaches that there are some differences in the church between men and women and the roles that they're going to fulfill. Only men have the biblical right to govern and teach the whole church. 1 Timothy 3. Um, Women and men are called to submit under the leadership of the church. And so this isn't a, a negative thing for us. It isn't that we are doormats or silent or that we accept abuse when it's coming at us. The scripture also isn't saying that women are in submission to every 
man, uh, to every man at all times, right? There are, there are certain leaders that we line up under, and that's what submission means, that we line up in appropriate authority. So as I think about my life and I think about choices I have to make, I am in submission to my father who's still living. Thank the Lord, I'll see him tomorrow night. You know, there are times where my dad has asked me to make choices that weren't helpful, that I didn't think were wise. And as we've talked about it and worked it out, it actually has been really great for me to listen and to bring back to him some some ideas and thoughts and for us to, to talk through these things. That isn't the case with every father, but my dad loves Jesus and he loves me well. And I can trust that the wisdom he's bringing to me is something that I'm going to submit to. Now, he lives in Florida, and I live in California, so there's not a lot of those opportunities. But I do listen to my dad, and I still will call him and say, hey, what do you think about this opportunity or this choice? I'm in submission to my elders at my church, the pastors who are there, who care for me. I'm in submission to my boss. But I don't submit to my boss, who is a man in all things, right? I submit to him when it comes to my job responsibilities. Some of you are students, right? And there are teachers. So when you're in someone's classroom, you do what they say, right? Or you should anyway, right? So we've got we've to make sure that we've got a balanced understanding of what the Bible actually says about authority. All women are not subject to all men all the time. There are specific men to whom we are in submission. And the the Bible's pretty clear. Parents, pastors, elders, that, that church leader thing, and then masters, right? That's the word that's used in the scriptures. Whether that's a supervisor or in the case where Paul was writing, um, that actually related to slaves and masters in those contexts. So not all women are subject to all men at all times. Husbands also, right? The scripture says, let a woman line up under her husband as unto the Lord, right? Ephesians 5, 22 There's a statement here. Submit, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That doesn't make that husband your God. But you are submitting, you're lining up as if the Lord is the one who is speaking with you. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's not just, women, you gotta do this. It's, let's recognize that the man you're called to submit to is one who loves the Lord and who loves you as the Lord has loved him. So, within the church, where there are situations of abuse, we don't just say, oh, submission, we're done. Just submit, it'll all be worked out, right? We have to be very thoughtful about those circumstances. 
we have to, to recognize that the Lord has made provision for care and for safety of his people, men and women, in those circumstances. So we're called to the church. We're also called to Christ's commission. Matthew 28, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Every one of us has this as a call on our lives. Go and make disciples. What does it look like for us to make disciples? Well, that's our next point here. We're called to discipleship. And Titus chapter two, verses three and four speaks of that, right? Older women teach the younger women. And I believe you even have a ladies group here, right? Do you have Bible study called Titus two? Right, this is what's going on here, right? There's always someone older than you. There's always someone younger than you that you can be discipled and be discipling. So what does that look like for us? Let's define discipleship before we get too far off here. It is walking together toward increasing maturity in faith in Jesus. And so as biblical women who recognize that we've been called by God, we've been brought to his salvation, he's present with us, we walk with him, we're in right submission to our to the different authorities that the Lord's placed in our life, what does it look like for us to be called to discipleship? Well, we all influence all the time. Some of, some of you may be influencers. You may aspire to be influencers. I'm looking at you, young women. Right, you, you Twitter, no, not Twitter, sorry, wrong, wrong generation. You, what's that called? TikTok, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you TikTok generation, right? Um, you, you look at these influences and you're like, oh, I want to do that. I want to be the person who travels and who films myself traveling. But it may not be something that's TikTok influencer, right? But you all have like a favorite restaurant. I, I made all of my staff today. Um, at Children's Hunger Fund, I made them go to Kava with me. I love Kava. It's a great restaurant, right? I influenced them by paying for lunch to come to Kava <laughs> with me. But you have, um, you have a favorite hair salon or you have music that you love. Um, I've, I've had to work really hard this fall not to be in the same place as Taylor Swift um, because I hate traffic and rising prices in hotels. Right? We all have these music things that we love and we influence each other. Come to this concert with me. Go to this. Do this. Pizza, right? What's your favorite pizza? You're going to talk about that with, well, that's what I talk about with my friends. Pizza and nachos and books. Um, or where you buy your shoes, maybe. Um, influence is hardwired into, into creation, we love each other. We nurture each other. We lead people toward maturity. Now, choosing the right pizza place can be seen as a mark of maturity. But within the church, we care for one another, right? And we influence each other. That's what discipleship is. Loving, 
nurturing and leading toward maturity. Not leading in a stereotype, right? Sometimes we have this picture of what we think the perfect biblical Christian woman looks like. Beautifully coiffed hair, the appropriate number of pins and earrings and necklaces, right? I I had a teacher at one point telling students in a previous situation that if you didn't wear three pieces of jewelry, you weren't feminine. I think I own three pieces of jewelry. (laughs) That type of stereotype is not what we're talking about here. The Lord has created us to be marvelously different from one another. And so it's not about this stereotype of what this perfect woman looks like. Instead, it's caring for one another in what we do, in where our our role in life is. Some of you are students, some of you are, are in your early career, Some of you are moms with babies at home and you always have those little snot patches on your shoulders, (laughs) right? Some of you are in your later years and you're learning how to play mahjong for the first time. My mom's having to learn how to play mahjong and she's resisting it, right? We are all in different areas in our life, but as we've been called to the church, and as we influence one another, we, we influence in our absence and in our presence. When I look around on Sunday morning and there are people in my world who are missing, they're influencing me. It makes me sad when I don't see the young families, when I know that their kids have said, hey, can't we just stay home in our pajamas and do church at home? We like it so much better when we can watch pastor while we're eating our Lucky Charms. Bring the Lucky Charms to church. I'm fine with that, but just be there, right? So even when you're absent, you're influencing. So what does that look like to care for the women who are older than you and the ones who are younger than you and influence them? Are we content to be spiritual babies? Or should we want to train and disciple other women? Many times I I talk with the older women in my church and I realized last year somebody said, oh, now that you're you're one of the older women. I was like, what? How did that happen? I mean, how are my friends, kids, seniors in high school? I don't understand how that happens. But I I talk with other older women at my church and, and I say, how? Who, who, are, who are you discipling? Who are you engaging with? And they're like, oh, they know so much more than I do. I can't contribute anything. Ladies, that isn't true. We haven't lost a husband. We haven't had to maintain a job for lots and lots of years. You, the life that the Lord has given you, the place that he has put you, the experiences that you've walked through, those are gifts from, the God, from God for the church, for the other women and men in your life. So you have something to offer in bringing along people. Sometimes that's informal discipleship where 
Maybe you take somebody shopping with you, right? You all grocery shop? Well, I don't know. I don't know about Texas. People don't grocery shop in California anymore, they tell me. They just call DoorDash or whatever it is and the groceries magically appear on their doorstep. I don't understand how that happens. How do you not want to go to the grocery store and, and feel the apples yourself, <laughs> right? I'm sorry, I don't want somebody else picking out my sugar snap peas. <laughs> but I can call a young lady at my church and say, I'm going grocery shopping, you wanna go with me? And we talk about life. Today, Shannon and I got to go antiquing. I love the Grapevine Antique Mall. And so as, you know, as we're walking along, I'm showing her this is how I took this suitcase and made it into a coffee table. And she's looking at things and going, oh, my mom's got that platter. I, <laughs> she said, I could have the same platter as my mom. <laughs> That's how you know you're getting old when the things you see in the antique stores are the things that you grew up with in your house, right? So, but those, those are informal opportunities to walk with one another, to talk about life, to rejoice in the goodness of God, to cry when things are difficult, to mourn what you wished had been together because the Lord has placed us in these opportunities of intentional relationship. But there are also those formal opportunities. And the church is usually really great, especially a church like Countryside, really great at giving those opportunities for formal discipleship. Whether that's a Bible study or it's a small group or it's one-on-one -on -one discipleship or working with the middle, uh, middle schoolers or working in high school or college ministry, those are all formal opportunities. Sometimes that involves teaching. Sometimes it just involves being with people in the same place. But we all influence. How are we influencing one another with the life that the Lord has given us as he's called us to be together for the sake of his church? We are disciples of Christ and he has given us the identity of being in Christ as we are disciples, as, as we are called to discipleship, we have to recognize that our help in order to call one another to discipleship, in order to call one another to an affection for Christ, our help is from the Lord who has placed us in Christ. And it is his spirit who is at work in us as we plunge our lives into the word and we come to know him with a greater affection. He gives us opportunities to disciple. We disciple within specific seasons of those opportunities. For those of you who are married, you have opportunities to have encountered babies, loss, infertility, empty nesting. Some of you have been abandoned by your husbands. Some of you have been widowed. Even Paul recognizes that the widows, you do good deeds. Be known for your good deeds. Some of you are single. Some of you are single again. What does it look like for you to take those seasons and intentionally love one another 
with what the Lord has brought into your life. It doesn't just happen, ladies. It doesn't just happen. I tried for a while to see, does it just happen if I don't do anything to make relationship happen? And so I went to a big church and I walked in and I walked out and I walked in and walked out Sunday after Sunday. Didn't have to speak to anybody. Nobody spoke to me. Nobody poured into me. I didn't pour into anybody. It's possible to be in a really good church under really good teaching and not actually engage with one another. But that's not what we're called to as biblical women. We're called to use these seasons that the Lord's given us and these experiences that the Lord's given us to care for one another. So we've been created by God for God. We've been called to walk together. Women to walk together with one another, but also men and women to fulfill God's calling in the world, which is to make himself known and to be glorified by his creation. And we're called to build up the body, to multiply people within the body. So where does that leave us as women? Where does it leave us with that big word of complementarianism? The scriptures tells us that we are equal in dignity, in value, in worth, but we're holding different complementary roles in the family and in the church. Scripture does command, commend women and uh, women in both the Old Testament and the New Testament for how they served the Lord and how they served the people that they were in. Some of the examples of, of women being commended were women who were prophets, prophetesses, those who taught their families and taught other women, those who were, participated in cooperating ministries. And so I think it's helpful for us to just review some of these examples that the Lord has given us in the scripture of how God used women. Not all of the examples in scripture tell us how to act specifically. That God would say, well, Deborah was a judge, so you should go sit under a palm tree in Jericho uh, or in, uh, in Samaria where she was sitting. That's not what I'm saying, but we do have to ask, what would the original readers have understood about Deborah's ministry as a judge? Why is Deborah included in that story? What's the purpose of the passage? We have to ask all of those questions as we are digging through and finding the women in the scriptures and asking how would the Lord use their lives to encourage us as we build up the body around us. So here's a few of the women who were, um, who were given to us as examples within the scriptures. In Judges 6 and 7, we have Deborah. She's never called a ruler. She's called a judge. It said that she used to sit under a palm tree and people would come to her with their problems. Don't you love it when you know that wise person that you can sit and have that conversation with? She was given word directly from the Lord, actually. But in the circumstance of the military, she actually deferred to Barak, to the general. And, she, and he said, I'm not going if you don't go with me. And she said, fine. 
but you're still the leader of these people and when it comes down to it, the Lord's gonna give this battle, the, the praise of this battle to a woman. Not me, but somebody else. So she didn't take over even though there was an, there was an offer of that from Barak. Proverbs 31. How many of you just groaned internally? <laughs> oh, this woman seems frightful to us, right? And you're wondering, can I be the entrepreneur that she is? This Proverbs 31 woman is really fascinating because she's actually a picture that a mother is giving to her son. Son, mom says, as you're looking for a wife, here's the kind of woman you want to observe and find for your wife. So I actually think the Proverbs 31 woman is a single woman who is honoring the Lord, she's honoring her family, she's someone who is uh, commended as being wise. She goes out and looks at a field and says, oh, I wanna buy that field. And she buys it and she keeps her family clothed and she cares for people, right? I don't think that the Lord's asking us to take verse by verse of this woman and go, I didn't buy a field today, so I must be failing as a Proverbs 31 woman, right? That's my weaving skills have been a little off this week, so I'm, I'm, I'm not making it. That's not what the Lord's doing. He's giving us a picture to meditate on, to think on, and see how it is that we can use the skills that he's put in our hands to honor him. Godly women speak with wisdom and with faithfulness. And I think that's what the Proverbs 31 woman shows us. In Matthew chapter one, we see a picture of many women. I don't know how many of you have read uh, Matthew chapter one recently. I don't spend a lot of time in the genealogies, but this is one that just thrills my soul. As you're looking at the genealogy of Jesus, who's in there? There's men and women. It was very unusual at this time frame that there would be women involved in that, in any kind of genealogy. And yet God has written in his scriptures that you've got Rahab, you've got the wife of Uriah, poor Bathsheba, right? And there's, you know, adulteresses, prostitutes, the Lord has used these women. He's brought them to himself and used them even to bring his son to the world. Acts 18, we have Priscilla and Aquila who are working there with Apollos. She is one of the ones who is teaching Apollos what it is to understand the scriptures. It's not in a public context necessarily, but together this couple was discipling Apollos. Acts 21, we see that Philip had daughters who prophesied. In 2 Timothy, Eunice and Lois instructed Timothy. In 1 Corinthians 11 and 14, we see that instructions were given on how women should pray and prophesy in the church. And by prophesy, we mean speak truth within the church. So what does it look like for women to function within the, the parameters that the scripture has given us. In Romans 16, 
and Philippians 4, Paul talks about the women who worked side by side with him. And the book of 2 John was a letter written to a woman. If you've ever felt that God doesn't care about the women, I hope that that brief list, which is not all of the examples, is an encouragement to you that God is at work with women. He is calling us to honor him, to make him known. And so what does it look like for you, for me, to encourage the men in your life? Whether that's the men in your home or the men in your workplace or in your school or at your work, at office, at the church. What does it look like to encourage those men? What does it look like to submit appropriately with gladness? Hebrews 13 says that those who are under the leadership of elders in the church should make it a joy for those elders to lead them. I had neat opportunity this week um, for a moment of hospitality with our elder team. Uh, our elders and pastors get together every couple of weeks and pray together, and they have a meal together. And so often someone from the church will actually bring the meal for these pastors. And I had this little joke in my head. Wouldn't it be funny if somebody took them shepherd's pie? You know, for the shepherds. And so I had an opportunity to take shepherd's pie to the shepherds this week, and I giggled the whole way, right? <laughs> the text that I got from them told me that shepherd's pie was a ministry to their heart, right? They, they actually were rejoicing in shepherd's pie on a cooler evening in Santa Clarita. Make it a joy for you to be led by them. Carry one another's burdens. What does it look like for you to carry the burdens of those who serve? And then serve with joy. 2 Timothy 2.2 calls us to be growing disciples who are maturing in Christ. We're walking with one another intentionally so that we make the invisible God obvious to a watching world. This thing about being a woman is bigger than you. It's bigger than just the parameters you feel or how uncomfortable it may be at times. It's bigger than me wanting to wear pants to school when I had to wear a uniform skirt. We are image-bearing. As women, we are image-bearing we are blessed, we are intentional, we have an inheritance that our God has given us and he has brought us to this place, wherever we are, as a part of his beautiful purpose to make himself known to the world. Titus, in the letter to Titus, Paul says, look for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for the day 
where the faithfulness with which we live here will add members to the body of Christ and we will be together with our Savior. Being a woman isn't about knowing your way around the kitchen, although it helps at times. It isn't about being able to wear stilettos, although I like them, right? It isn't about wearing three pieces of jewelry to look feminine. It's about making your God beautiful to a watching world. As you love the people around you, as you draw people to your savior, you have the opportunity to be a biblical woman. And that's a joyful thing. It isn't something that's repressive because our God hasn't repressed us. He's actually drawn us to himself. And he says, I will walk with you through the process. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your love. We're grateful for the care that you've given us in making yourself known to us. Lord, we're grateful for the people that you've placed in our lives who have discipled us and drawn us to yourself. Lord, we're grateful for the church and the churches that you've put us in, that we would live together in a way that people who are watching us would want to know how we do it. Lord, may our lives be glad in you and may our lives burn brightly in the darkness of our culture. Lord, as you have made us to be women, we ask that you would cause us to make you known to a watching world. And it's in your son's name that I pray, amen.